Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Lost Tribe, The Traveler. I am the author and your humble narrator, Peter Ivey. This week, I'll be reading chapters 20, 21, 22, and 23. Sadly, I am alone this week on the podcast, so you'll have to put up a little old me. If you are enjoying it, please like, share, subscribe, and follow and comment, and all those good things that allow me to continue to bring this to you. If you are looking for physical copies of the books, well, they're available on Amazon. Thank you for listening, and let's get on with the show. Chapter 20 I watched Casey as she slept by the fire. She was wrapped in several blankets on account of the fever she caught, from some kind of wound on her arm that had begun to fester. The shaman of the tribe had done his best to apply a poultice to slow down the infection, but it seems that it had to run its course all the same. I wanted to try to travel to another world where more powerful medicines were available, but it was too dangerous. I figured that both the kingdom and apostles were after us now, and modern cities seemed to be very well known to most of them. Apostles would probably wait until the week was out to come after me. He owed us both that much. Casey moaned a bit in her sleep. I moved over and stroked her forehead, smoothing back her hair. Her breathing calmed and she seemed to drift off again. So far, she had not been coherent long enough for us to talk. Your friend is gripped with the unrest of a fever dream, said my friend Simi as he stepped from the woods. He moved over to the clearing near the fire. Simi was a good friend of mine, one of the hunters who mentored me when I came here before any attempt to escape my fate. He had joined me when we sprang the trap against Apostos. It was his knife that I used to try and keep him at bay. Simi had a long black beard, near middle age, and was a giant of a man, especially when he was dressed in the jumbled pelts that he wore on rangings. The others called him Bear, of course, but only out of respect. It would be unfortunate to do otherwise. It seems so, I muttered. I pulled some jerky out of my pouch to munch on. I held a piece out to Simi, who was always hungry, and he took it gladly. She is a beauty, your friend, he said. Is there anything between you? I turned around and frowned a little at him. I forgot that the tribe considered matters of attraction and coupling to be an open discussion. The notions I had grown up with about courting and romance were not direct enough for the manner in which they tended to conduct themselves. There was no rape involved, but merely a sense of necessity in a kind of hostile, forbidding landscape. A gentleman never tells, or so my father taught me. I smiled. Simi nodded, chewing away at the jerky. A moment passed before he spoke again. The others say that you tricked us into attacking your foe. Is that true? Yes. I didn't hesitate. I owed him that much. He raised his eyebrows and chuckled. You are a bold one, Mick. I prefer to think of myself as... Uh, well, yeah, I guess bold is the most flattering way to put it. You're still sore about the knife, aren't you? He merely nodded. I lost the knife in the forest where I first met Falkir. Boy, that seemed a long time ago now. If it helps at all, I did lose it fighting an enemy. A fierce one. Did you win? I won that fight, but he did live. That's a pity. You didn't kill him hard enough. Apparently not, I said, a wry smile on my lips. I'll kill him next time, he said, as if stating a fact. I just might. My hand twitched slightly under the leather wrappings I had encased it in. Bad thoughts flickered across my mind as I considered the apparent change of circumstances between myself and my brethren. I still could not remember what possessed me to strangle flesh, but I didn't remember what she looked like when I was done. I pulled up my own furs around myself as a sudden chill seemed to move through the camp. 
The fire wavered slightly. Simmy read thoughts in my face, for it seemed so, and now looked at me kind of warily. Once your friend is healed, you'll be moving on? There is one more bit of business to take care of, but yes, we will be moving on after that. Simmy chewed on his lip as if considering his words, which was kind of unusual for him. The others also say that you are much as dangerous as the one we fought, that you are more than human. I rose from where I sat and met his eyes. I'm not human, and neither is my companion. We are something different, but I don't fully understand what that means. We can do things that would astound you. Move between worlds, pull weapons from the air, fly on the wind, even defy death. You kind of saw it before, but I was born just as you. To a mother and father, and up to a point I lived a life that most would regard as typical from that time and on my world. I was a soldier and sailor fighting for my country on the high seas. Then, one day everything changed. I changed. From then on, I banded together with others like myself to fight those who would call themselves masters over humanity, the kingdom. They are my brethren too, but they have chosen to become tyrants and monsters. We all have no home. All we have is the fight, and each other. It would seem a very harsh life. Yeah, it is. You don't sound as if your heart is in it. We've suffered losses that have caused me to question who leads us, and what he really intends for us. For even though I don't trust him, he was a better alternative than the kingdom. Now I'm not so sure that I made the right choice. What will you do, then? Oh, he's coming here soon. And when he does, he and I are going to have a nice long chat. Want help? I smiled at Simmy. Even after misleading him, he still wanted to help me. Thank the universe for humanity. No, I think I have it covered. Besides, it's possible that there will be some butting of heads that may result in fallout that I wouldn't want anyone to be caught up in. I didn't feel like mentioning that I was meeting with Apostos. I didn't think he'd understand that I'd been following the man or whatever it was that I'd talked them all into attacking before. Things were confusing enough. As you say, Mick, he said, nodding. Goodbye for now. Sleep well, Simmy. I watched him wander off into the forest. It was a truly remarkable thing to have friends again even though I had to keep them at arm's length. I settled down next to Casey, letting my arm rest across her chest. I watched it rise and fall. Next to her, a patch of snow melted suddenly, and a single red rose made its way out of the dirt and bloomed in the cold night air. Chapter 21 The night was very calm out here in the desert, and a cool breeze wove through the hills. The stranger had long departed, leaving us to put together a camp and settle in for the night, before we left on our respective missions in the morning. I gathered wood, swapping it to me from wherever in the world it had come from. Casey watched me, fascinated. I wonder what she could do. Shooting didn't seem like much of a power. Then again, some powers seemed much more subtle than others. I lit the fire with tinder from my coat and rubbed my hands as the smoke began to waft up from the wood. Casey sat down next to me at the fire and began to clean one of her guns with the cloth she pulled from her pouch. She noticed me watching her and smiled. I bet you've never seen a woman like me before where you're from. What do you mean? woman who walks around with guns, gets in fights, saves her ass. Thanks for that. She nodded. Actually, you're not that different from the women in Pretty. 
it was a hard life in the village with men going off to either fight in the navy or going on fishing trips for days, maybe weeks on end. Meanwhile, the women were left to tend to the house and the children. They may not have carried guns, but they had steel of their own. The kind that's beaten and folded in a forge until it shines cold and hard. Truth be told, I'm glad that my mother never had a gun. I kind of like my father. Casey laughed and wrapped her gun in an oiled cloth. She laid it down next to her on a rock. Is that where you realized you had this kind of power? No, that happened somewhere else entirely. I told Casey the story of my last trip on the Golden Maria, leaving out nothing. For some reason, I felt comfortable talking to her about it. I hesitated a little when I began to retell her how I felt when I cut down the sailors after I reawakened to my power. Casey frowned. What's wrong? You stopped. I don't want you to get the wrong idea about me, Casey. I really don't. I'm not some kind of cold killer, at least I don't want to be. I felt different for a moment back there, thrilled by it, but I regretted when I saw how scared they all were. I mean, even my own men. I know you're not like the others, those kingdom people. She got up and came over to sit down next to me. I saw your face when that woman was killed in the hospital. It was all over you. The outrage, the feeling of guilt. Tugs at you when you carry the world on your shoulders. Worlds, I said, grinning. Yeah, worlds. How did it happen to you? She turned away and then rose from where we sat. I, I'm, I'm sorry, Casey, if I misspoke. I, I, it can't be any worse to rise up in some kind of fugue to hack people down, right? Casey didn't say anything. She walked over to a patch of bare earth and squatted down. She closed her eyes and placed her hands against the dirt. I was about to get up when her eyes opened, power turning them into a bright green. The energy traveled down her hands and into the dirt. Suddenly, small green shoots came up out of the dirt in a circle and began to spread from the center. She held up her hand as if willing it to be. As the shoots spread, flowers grew from them in multitudes. In a few seconds, Casey was standing in a six-foot-wide bed of fully grown flowers, here, in this empty, dusty expanse of desert. She straightened up from where she had squatted. I came over to her and picked one of the flowers. The flower was a rose, its scent full and intoxicating. Wonderful, aren't they? They're amazing, Casey. They come from death. Come again? A tear fell down her cheek. They come from death. The lives I take with my guns give me power, and I can take it and make life. I moved next to her and put my arm around her. More tears fell, and I waited for her to speak. My father was a good guy. He was all I had left after my mum died. She died of fever during the winter I was born. He raised me, and we worked the little farm we had together. I'm from here, Mick. This is my world, and it's a harsh place to grow up. If the heat doesn't get you, the cold and the wind just might. Food is so scarce, I swear, the first time I went into one of those markets in a world like the one I found you, I ate everything I could lay my hands on, I was so hungry. My father tried so hard to keep us alive, all on his own, till I got old enough to help. When I was about sixteen, a freak frost killed most of our crops one night, we struggled to save what we could. It was two weeks before the snow started falling. He hardly ate anything at all, giving up what he had to keep me alive. I watched him grow thinner each day. It got so bad that he ended up going to town to sell his guns to get some food for us. I went with him to help carry back what we could get, but that's where it happened, outside a little tavern, this trading post to the west of our farm. I was waiting for him to come out. I couldn't go in because I was too young and not offered my services if you know what I mean. After a few minutes I heard a shot go off and I ran inside to see what happened. I knew it was stupid. I mean, who runs towards gunfire? I knew something was wrong. I found my father lying in a pool of his own blood next to a table near the bar. One of his guns was in the hands of a grizzly-looking dude who was standing over him. The other one had fallen from his hand. I started crying and fell down next to him. 
A small crowd had gathered around us, and I heard one of them say, Geez, Seth, he was offering fair on those shooters. Now look, he's got a brat. That fellow Seth muttered something about not paying for something he could take, and I looked up at him. He was grinning, Mick, like it was nothing to kill my father. That's why I know you're not like that. I know killers. You killed them, didn't you? Oh, I killed them all. Picked up my father's gun and killed six men without missing a shot. My father taught me how to shoot in the farm, and I did him proud that day. What happened then? After those guys went down, people were staring at me from behind tables, from behind the bar. I was shaking, crying, just in shock from the death I'd dealt. I'd never killed anything before. Then I screamed, let it all out, and in the mirror behind the bar I could see my eyes. They shone green, but bright like the sun. At that moment I knew something else in my own life. I could feel the life around me, and there was a hunger for it inside me that I didn't understand. It was as if I held a pair of scales in my hand, and I was putting life given on one side, and life taken on the other. I was striking that balance. It drove me crazy to feel like that, to feel responsible for it all. The scream became an outlet. A river inside me that rushed into the world outside. When I opened my eyes, the tavern was empty of people, and my father's body dangled from one leg from a tree that had just grown up through the floor and burst the ceiling out of the place with its branches. I took him down, and I took his guns back. He was so light by then that I had no problem carrying him. I walked outside the tavern. People were scattered as I made my way out with my father to the horses. I could feel the desire within me to take them all down, Mick. I'm glad that the guns I had were empty. All my father knew how to do was give, and all those people did was take. Where there was a miserable little trading post, there could have been a forest. Instead, I made my way back to the farm, and I buried my father. I felt so empty and lost then, and that's when I first saw one of our portals open. It was like the power inside me sensed what I was feeling, and invited me to go where I wouldn't be alone anymore. It knew what I wanted, and gave me a way out. It was the same way with me. It knew my heart and my desire to explore. We stood there for a moment, and she looked up at me. What is happening to all of us? I don't know. I wished I did. I hope the stranger has some answers. I don't want to feel like this anymore. Like what? Like some kind of monster with one hand covered in blood. I took her hands in mine and held her closer to me. I'm not a monster, Casey. And neither are you. We looked into each other's eyes, and I could feel the longing in me for home. For something real and familiar. I realized then how wounded I felt, how betrayed by my own hopes I had become in the course of my journey. I now stood with another like me, drowning together in the great contradiction in our natures that threatened to consume us all. Then I kissed her, and lingered on her lips. She returned my kiss, and before long we were madly kissing each other as if it were a duel. I opened my eyes, and I could see the power burning in hers. Her hat had fallen, and her dark hair fell in curls onto her shoulders. She pulled me down to the bed of flowers, and we fell down among the blossoms. Chapter 22 The pale light of early morning broke through the dense branches of the pines around us. When I awoke, Casey was still sleeping underneath my arm. Her color was better, her skin was pale, but not flushed. I gently put my hand on her chest and found that her breathing was good and steady. The bruises on her face were even slowly disappearing. I couldn't decide if it was because we all healed so quick, or maybe she was healing herself. I brushed her dark curls from her face and caressed her cheek. I didn't want her to wake yet. There was still so much to do, and a lot to talk about. And some of it would not be happy news for either of us. As if in response, I felt my right hand pulse with pain, 
and a strange feeling of warmth ran up to my shoulder. Something was happening to me, and I didn't know what. I decided to have a look at my hand, and got up slowly to not disturb Casey, and crept over to a rock near the dying embers of the fire. As I passed in front of her, I saw that the rose that had sprung up last night had wilted in the cold. However, beneath it, and around where she slept, small shoots were all beginning to peek their way up through the dirt. I wondered if she knew that she caused that to happen, even while she slept. I certainly didn't unconsciously swap things while I slept. Or, if I did, I didn't find anything amiss when I woke up. I pictured myself reaching down to grab my sword and pulling out an umbrella in a fight, and I chuckled. So far, I'd been spared such side effects. Except for what happened in my hand, I'd been pretty fortunate so far. Getting back to the task at hand, I sat down on a rock and began to unwind the leather strapping that I had wound around my hand to conceal it. I trimmed the nails down yesterday with my knife, reducing them to a regular length that wouldn't snag on anything or just look plain nasty. They still remained a pearly white in contrast to the dark flesh. It was now much less gray, but it turned as black as a shadow, broken only by the glowing green veins that ran through it. As I reached the point where the dark flesh met the tan flesh of the rest of my arm, I stopped and clenched my jaw to stifle my gasp of surprise and shock. The veins had begun to move their way up my arm, and the blackness was going with it. A few inches above my wrist, the flesh had begun to go gray. What would happen if it reached my heart or my brain? I recalled the vision I was given, and I shivered. Was this the same doom that those whom Apostos had destroyed had suffered from? Was I that same cursed thing? I would be getting my answer soon if all went planned, but perhaps I could even save myself before it was too late. I rewound the leather strapping, making a mental note to myself not to roll up my sleeves in front of Casey. She, she would only worry. A branch snapped a few meters behind me. I swept forward and grabbed my sword where it leaned against my pack by the fire. I pulled hard on the scabbard, remembering how blades became stuck in the cold. The sword shrieked out of the scabbard, its eyes dragging frost as it flashed out in the daylight. Casey murmured briefly in her sleep, but did not awaken. I knew it wasn't Simmy who made the noise. He knew every inch of those woods and wouldn't have made a sound if he didn't want to. I stepped back to put myself in between the side of the camp where I heard the noise and where Casey lay, and went into a crouch ready to spring. My eyes scanned the edge of the woods. I eased up a bit as Henry's face appeared as he moved up from behind a tree. Anyone ever told you that you are a very paranoid man? It's not paranoia if the threat is real. I lowered my sword but stood my ground. I suppose. I told all of you to stay away, Henry. What part of that didn't you understand? Henry pulled out a smoke and lit it with a remarkable facsimile of the old lighter. Oh, sure. Just bugger off after we try to rescue. Then I expect we wouldn't want answers to. You're not the only one that feels like they're in the dark here, Mick. I looked around near Henry. Who else is with you? Takum. He's here with me, of course, as always is. And, uh, another... Takum came out from behind the trees, dragging a rope behind him. He was dressed in a huge black coat, but still seemed to be suffering a little bit in the cold. He nodded to me in greeting. I nodded back, but kept my eyes peeled. And who would that be with you two? Who's on the end of the rope? Takum tugged on the rope, and a figure stumbled forward. Otomo stood up from being dragged, and stood before Henry and Takum. One who wishes to apologize for what he did to you, Takum said. Well, well. I said, slapping the flat of my sword in my hand. The gang's all here. Chapter 23 They dragged Otomo over to the fire, and we all sat down while I poked the coals with my sword to get it going again. Takum was going to go and get some more when I swapped a good-sized log into the other hand and dropped it in. 
He sat down next to Otomo. Henry was rubbing his hands, his smoke dangling from his lips. I glared at Otomo as I sat down as well, keeping my sword out for display. Otomo had a large welt on the side of his face, and a small trickle of blood was running from his nose. I remember what he could do, and wondered how the hell he even got hurt. Casey murmured something in her sleep and turned over, away from the fire. I stuck the point of my sword into the ground. I take it Apostos isn't joining us? I asked Henry. Henry shook his head. Uh, to put it correctly, Mick, uh, we are not joining him. Oh? Yeah, well, after what Otomo told us, we decided it would be in our best interest to stay out of his plans. <laughs> Much healthier, too. It's awfully good timing on your part, and his, for you to be coming to me now. I'm sorry, Henry, but I, I just don't believe you. Fine, I'll let Otomo speak for himself, then. He kicked his foot. Tell him. Otomo cast a sidelong glance at Henry, and then turned back at me. The one you call Apostos recruited me long before you or Casey. Shortly after the world I lived on was invaded by the kingdom, and everything I knew destroyed in their wake. My way of life, my family, all the people I knew when I was born, gone in an orgy of blended madness brought on by the ones twisted by flesh's power. And yet you joined up with them? Apostos had me work my way into their ranks. They had no idea of who I was or what they had done to me. Only that I was a powerful warrior that they could use to lure you and Casey into a trap. I cursed and stood. I felt the blood rush into my veins and my hand twitched. He knew he was sending her into a trap, and that you would follow. I rushed over and grabbed him by the ropes that bound him and yanked him forward. And at what point, pray tell, did you decide that the plan involved cutting my damn hand off and beating the shit out of Casey? Otomo scoffed and I bashed him across the face with the hilt of my sword. His head flew sideways and blood splattered from his newly broken lip. He fell sideways. Mock me again and you'll get the same. That's enough, Mick. Come on, let us speak. You know I could just go all spirit-like and ghost out of those robes if we wanted to. I pulled Otomo up and slapped his cheek. Go on. Otomo spit at a drizzle of blood and fixed me with a murderous glare. The kingdom was getting suspicious, and I cut off your hand to show that I would follow any order I was given. It was Nicholas who questioned her. Whatever they were looking for, she didn't know about it. Okay, that seems to make sense, but what do you get out of it? Jack led the attack on my world. It was Flesh's creatures, but it was Jack's will directing them all. The deal was that I would have my revenge on Jack in exchange for my services against the kingdom. Once I found out what they were looking for, Apostles would lead the charge and come rescue whoever was left. You never found out what it was that she was after? Only Lethia knows, and she isn't telling anyone else. It's as if she is led by feeling rather than some certain knowledge. That's pretty astute. How did you figure that? I have always had a good sense when someone is bluffing. The way she answers Jack and the others tells me, her hesitation lingering. She doesn't really know. Is that why they were sacking Trelane? Because she felt like it? I don't know. I felt like my brain was on fire. I now resisted the urge to cut away the straps around my arm and hand to relieve the twitching that was close to driving me to distraction. I took a moment and sat down next to Casey. I exhaled deeply and sheathed my sword. Otomo's story rang true. Apostos must know what it was that Lethe is looking for, and if my dreams were any indication. From what Penny had told me, someone on a much higher perch than all of us was after the same thing. You gentlemen make it damn hard for a girl to catch some shut-eye, you know. Morning. I take it you've been listening to all of this? Yeah, for the most part. 
She put her hand in mine. My good hand, anyway. What do you think? I think I have some more topics of choice for my conversation with Apostles when he comes here. I shook my head. What are you going to do, Mick? I mean, what can you do? Apostles is obviously something different from us, and you can exile us with very little effort. For playing poker, I'd wonder what the hell you were holding. Well, you know, my hand is pretty good, I said, flexing. Now I just have to wait for him to show his. Appreciate the fact that you've been poorly used by him. Uh, I honestly do have to question, though, what you're doing here, and what you've done. What do you mean? Henry and Decoum exchanged glances. I had a sense there had been some serious discussion in my absence. It is a matter of trust. Trust? The fingers of my ruined hand gripped my knee. Uh, you, you gotta admit, Mick, uh, your actions lately have been a little scary. As much as I hate the kingdom and what they did to both of you, I think we were all a little shocked when we found you strangling one of them to death. Now, just a damn minute. Casey growled, standing up, her fists cocked. I stood up as well and put my hand on her shoulder. She was ready to pounce. Hold it, I said. Let Henry speak his piece. But it's not right. You have no idea what it was like, and neither do you. Nicholas hurt me. She slapped my hand from her shoulder and turned away from all of us. I stepped back from her. It was better to let her cool down before one of us ate a bullet fired in pure consternation. Henry and Decoum were both on their feet now. Otomo knelt on the ground, his head down and his eyes closed. This isn't getting us anywhere, I said, trying to be calm. I understand that you're concerned, all of you, but I know what I'm doing. I can handle Apostos. We just have to sit back and wait for him to come. I do not think you will have to wait too long. I looked over at Takum, who stood stock still, and was looking on the other side of the camp. Atomo opened his eyes and rose from where he knelt, his gaze fixed on the same point. His eyes were wide. Henry moved slightly back, and behind Takum. I nudged Casey gently and drew my sword. I turned around. At the edge of the trees, dressed in heavy armor with massive shoulder pauldrons and an ornate breastplate depicting a roaring lion, his white robes glimmering in the light of day, his mailed fist clenched, was Apostos himself. He wore a look of grim determination. His steps sounded loudly in the camp as his mailed boots crunched in the snow underneath. You have something to say, Mick. Thank you again for listening in to this week's episode. Please like, share, subscribe, and follow. I invite you all to listen in next week for the finale of The Traveler.